Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from CPAs and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you real results, both in business and building the life you desire. Thank you for joining us for episode number 80 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast brought to you by PJS and Co. CPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and today we are talking about the Employee Retention Credit, or ERC. This is a big topic to tackle today, and we saw a significant expansion in 2021. So we have a special guest on for today's show to talk about various ways for you to qualify for the credit how much benefit you might be able to receive, and how the credit interplays with other available credits, including the Paycheck Protection Program, or what you may have heard referred to as the PPP, and the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, or WOTC. As we all know, our CPAs love their acronyms, so they don't have to say these long things every single time. Uh, So let me first introduce our co-host for today's episode. You've heard from her, but it's been quite a while. We are welcoming back our virtual CFO and CPA, Teresa Lauer, to the show. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Megan. How are you today? Oh, good. I think we're all experiencing kind of a hectic morning, but we're trying to get our stuff together for today's show. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was on vacation last week, and I think I need a vacation for my vacation. (laughs) Right? That should be a thing. We should get a grace period. The good thing is, though, I really was able to disconnect from work and I'm blessed for the team at PJS to uh, to help make that happen. So um, even though I have quite a few emails to sift through, um, I'm getting getting things taken care of and excited to be here today. Good, good. And we of course, we want to welcome our guest today. We have the co-founder and partner of Trimerit Special Tax Professionals. Our guest is uniquely qualified to speak about the ERC and help us better understand how it works. He is a widely followed author, lecturer, and podcast host for the accounting profession. We are happy to welcome Randy Crabtree to the show. Welcome, Randy. Well, Megan, thank you for having me. Teresa, great to see you. And uh, speaking of vacations, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago uh, when uh, Teresa sent me an email, and I uh, I just got back to her today. So I know what you mean, Teresa, about following up after vacations. It it, it takes a while. So um, you and I will be able to talk about what we want to discuss after this. So that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, Randy, a little bit about your background. I always like to dive into, you know, your experience and how you came into the field before we dive right into the the topic at hand. Um, That way our listeners understand a little bit about, you know, your authority and and how you you came to this point. See if they can trust me or not. Is that is that what yeah, we're doing? Yeah, exactly. Right. I, yes. I understand. That makes sense to me. Um, well, first off, I am a CPA. I was in public accounting for many years, um, which means I'm old. And uh, and then uh, that was actually it was a public accounting. It actually, was a second career. But we don't need to get into really? that. But uh, yeah, it was a second career. The first one didn't last that long. But I, uh, I CPA started in the profession in 1988. Was in it until 06. I'm still in it, 
it's just uh, I had started a practice, built it up, you know, uh, merged in with another firm and decided it was time to start something new. And that's where Trimere came. That's our business now. And that's the specialty tax firm. So so I've been working on specialty taxes solely, which ERC is one of those, for almost 15 years now. Perfect. And Teresa, do you want to speak a bit to how we came in contact with Trimerit? Sure. So Trimerit, as Randy mentioned, is a specialty tax firm. And, you know, here at PJS, I actually have a pretty in-depth tax background as well. But as I think we'll get into a little bit um, in our podcast here today, this employee retention credit is extremely complex. It's a highly technical area of the tax law. It can be very beneficial to businesses. It's something that we help our clients with, but it is so specialized that there are some situations where it just makes sense to partner with a firm that has the highest level of expertise in this area for some unique fact patterns and situations. And so I actually had been listening to a a webinar that Randy's firm had been doing on the ERC so that I could learn more about it when it first came out um, for my clients and just really thought Randy did a fabulous job of explaining it, breaking it down, talking about some of the unique ways that it, it could apply to clients. And so when we had a one of my clients that wasn't meeting some of the safe harbors to be able to take this credit, which I think Randy will talk about, they had a little bit of a unique fact pattern. I um, contacted TriMerit and uh, we talked through some of the details and thought that it would be a good situation where we could work together to help this particular client take advantage of this credit. Perfect. And that's one of the things we really love about Trimerit too, and, and you, Randy, is that you have a big focus on education and helping both CPAs and business owners understand the complexities of these things and that they're available and we they're there to help businesses. But a lot of times it's not something that you want to tackle on your own, especially as a business owner. So it's why we invited you on so we can hopefully try to break down some of it. But again, don't use this as your end all be all. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, specialty tax in general is the education part is something I just love to do. I found that out after years of uh, doing everything possible in the business that I like just talking about it and educating and seeing what we can help people. So anything I can do to help hopefully simplify things, that's what I try to do. Fantastic. So let's tackle the first question. If you haven't heard of the employee retention credit, don't know what it is, what is it and what what does that mean? So the employee retention credit, it's it's really a fascinating area. It was defined back in the CARES Act, and what also was defined in there was the PPP loans. And so the what occurred in the CARES Act, which was March of 2020, you know, when all this uh, started happening, what happened in the CARES Act, it said if you took a PPP loan, you could not take an employee retention credit. They were mutually exclusive. You could not do both. And so the employee retention credit was just ignored. You know, most people didn't pay attention to it because most taxpayers, you know, took advantage of the PPP loan as they should have. Right. At the end of last year, uh, in the another legislation that came out, the Consolidated Appropriations Act, they did an about face and they said, well, coronavirus and this I'm projecting what discussion was happening in the uh, in Congress. But hey, coronavirus is going on longer than we expected. We need to help these businesses further. What can we do? Oh, we have this employee retention credit that we disallowed companies from using. 
let's reverse that. And so what they did is said, okay, even if you took a PPP loan, if you meet the requirements for the ERC, you can do both. And that was a gigantic change. And that's, that's what got me, you know, for lack of a better term, addicted to the employee retention credit. I, I honestly can't get enough of it. And so that is why we're talking today. That's what opened it up to, you know, additional businesses and retroactively, actually, back to March 13th of 2020. And with further legislation, it has now been extended to the end of 21. As we mm. sit today, extended to the end of 21, there are some proposals out there that could change that. But as of right now, we have an, an employee retention credit for basically nine and a half months last year and 12 months of this year. And you're, you're exactly right, Randy. I remember when it first came out telling all my clients, you can't do both of these and the PPP loan will be more beneficial to you. And then just like you said, you know, I think it might, I don't remember if it was kind of a blur, but it might've been during tax season, you know, recontacting all my clients to say, wait a minute, we can, we need to look at this. This is, could be a very big benefit. And so if there are any businesses out there that, you know, kind of looked at some of the rules and thought I don't qualify or had an advisor say they don't qualify, it's definitely something that you want to go back to and make sure of uh, because they did completely, you know, reverse what they initially had said. Yeah. The landscape keeps changing. <laughs> it does. It does. So how does a business qualify then for the ERC? This is, this is pretty interesting because there's a lot of confusion on this from what I see. Um, there's, there's, there's really two ways to qualify for the employment retention credit, but everybody focuses on the one way. And, and I think Teresa already mentioned this at the beginning, but the, 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 there's a safe harbor rule out there and the safe harbor rule changes 20 to 21. But the bottom line is you can qualify for the employment retention credit if you show a significant decline in gross receipts when I'm comparing whatever quarter it is, 2020 quarter or 21 quarter, either one, I'm going to compare that to the same quarter of 2019. And so in the year 2020, if I can show a 50%, percent uh, reduction in revenue in any quarter in 2020 compared to 19, I meet the safe harbor rule, I qualify for the employee retention credit. Then in 21, it got easier if I show a 20% reduction in revenue in any quarter in 21, compared again to 19, I meet the safe harbor rule, I qualify. But that's where people kind of get stuck is on the safe harbor rule. Um, you know, I didn't meet the 20%, I didn't meet the 50% reduction, therefore I don't qualify. That's only one way. There's a second way to qualify, which is a little more... Oh, the word's complex, just a little more interpretation that needs to go in to determine if you qualify. And the rule, the rule says, was your business suspended by a government entity, whether that's federal, state, local, and did the suspension, you know, restrict your ability to perform your commerce, your ability to travel, your ability to have group, group meetings? That's pretty much what the, what it says, what the IRS says. I think it's much easier just when you look at it, was my business placed under some government restrictions? Was there a restriction out there that disallowed me to conduct my business as I would have pre-pandemic? If so, we need to dig deeper and see if that restriction has made you eligible for the employee retention credit. And that's the key area where people don't understand as much because you, the math is, for most people, math is easy. Hey, I had a reduction in revenue, right. I qualify. But right. these other, we have to interpret now to see how you were affected. Okay. 
So it sounds kind of vague, just looking at it from an outsider, you know, business owner perspective. Okay, well, I, I would say 100% of businesses were probably impacted by by that. So I'm sure it gets a little, you have more details and more qualifications that you have to abide by within that, right? Yes, there's definitely more in there. So so I can I can say... I was under restriction because there was a max ma- a mask mandate and everybody had to wear a mask to come in. That didn't really affect my business. That there was a, a mandate out there, there wasn't a government order, but did that really reduce my ability to conduct my business? Probably not. So what okay. what would in in general? Let's look at an industry. Um, and a, a good example is the restaurant industry. Restaurant. Mm-hmm. Oh, healthcare as well. We could talk about that. But right now, let's talk about a, a restaurant industry because that's easier to understand. As a restaurant, you know, most places around the country, March 17th, 2020, a majority of the places seem to be shut down. No indoor dining. Government order. Now, I'm on a restriction. I That's affected my business. I can't have people indoor. I could still do curbside pickup. Maybe I can do outdoor dining. Maybe I can do delivery. But the fact that I can't have indoor dining has now affected my ability to, you know, perform my business. With these suspension rules or restriction rules, they were never static. They changed. And so, you know, it wasn't no indoor dining and tomorrow indoor dining. For restaurants, it was no indoor dining and then 25% capacity. Then maybe later it was 50% capacity. Then maybe later it went to 100% capacity, but you had to have tables spread out six feet apart. That six feet of spreading table out effectively still reduced my ability to have full capacity in the restaurant. So under all those scenarios, I've been affected. That's an easy one. That's a straightforward one to look at. Another way to look at it, though, is this restriction doesn't have to be direct. It doesn't have to be, I have to follow this. If I have suppliers that were affected, restaurant industry you know, may be an example for this, but let's assume it is. Restaurant industry, I have suppliers affected. I have a, my supplier of uh, potato chips uh, was affected by a government shutdown, you know, 10 states away from me, but now I can't get these potato chips I normally would be able to to get to, to serve to my customers. Now, just because I can't get it from that supplier is not enough. I could not be able to get that from any supplier. And if that was the case, now I've been indirectly affected and I would qualify for the employee retention credit. Restaurant, maybe not the best example for the indirect effect, but there are plenty of examples of that. So that's something where you would want to talk to your advisor, want to talk to Trimerit. And if you feel like you have a strong enough case, talk to somebody about it and see if where where that might lie in the direct or indirect. Yes. Okay. Because just like Randy's giving us some great examples, you know, the IRS has given a few examples of things that qualify. You know, they put out some frequently asked questions to help businesses. But I think, you know, every business is so unique that that's where a firm like Trimerit or, you know, an advisor that can really help you dig into the details of your specific business can help you understand, you know, if you can meet this this second test that we're talking about, you know, even though it's not one of the, you know, very narrow examples the IRS has given. Yeah, and and that's that's a good point because every single business, and I say this every time I talk to people, every single business has its own unique facts and circumstances. And 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 Teresa and I have talked about this. You can't eliminate anybody on the surface. You have to dig a little deeper. You have to talk to the business owner. You have to talk to the CFO, whoever it is, and just find out 
how they've been affected, how their what their impression is of how they were affected. And this is if they don't meet the safe harbor revenue drop rules. Um, but yeah, right. each one's each one's unique. Healthcare is one that's interesting because pretty much all healthcare around the country was affected in some way. And majority of them were affected by no elective procedures. That was a number one thing that happened right off the bat. And actually, I had a discussion with an individual just yesterday who supports uh, the medical industry uh, through lab testing, and they are being told that that very well may be coming back again. So we may have this restriction again wow. uh, come into place. Okay. But but the fact that I'm a doctor, I, I you know I'm orthopedic, so I'm looking at their knees and their ankles and all this, and I can see what they're doing. I can wrap it. I could do that. I couldn't do surgeries. I couldn't do a knee replacement. I couldn't do a ligament replacement. I couldn't do you know whatever the you know shoulder work. I couldn't do that. And so therefore, I've been partially restricted. And 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 now I, I qualify for the credit. So that happened in a lot of cases: dental, orthodontics, optometrist. Medical has been a very big uh, industry for the employee retention credit. You know, we deal with a lot of service-based businesses, and I had an example of a, a client that is in the legal field, and I know they were impacted. You know, not necessarily from the gross receipts meeting that test, but they were definitely impacted by the courts being shut down. And, you know, different jurisdictions, you know, whether it was city or county and operating in different cities. Um, and I think that's one of the areas you and I talked where even though you don't meet that gross receipts test, which is an easier test to meet, uh, there definitely could be a case for, you know, the facts and circumstances that your business was affected by a government shutdown. Yeah, and that's a good example because we have done quite a few in the legal industry, law firms, uh, just be the main thing being the courts being shut down. Now, a lot of these courts at some point transition to online, you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever they went to, but you couldn't get everything done that way. So, so if I could replace what I was doing before with another way to provide that service, that specific service, well, then we got to eliminate maybe a portion of that, but I couldn't replace everything. And, you know, you had to be there signing contracts. You had to be there, you know, face-to-face doing something in court. And that was, that was shut down a lot of places. And so the secondary rule that we talked about where, you know, if I'm affected by a government restriction, there's actually another safe harbor built into that that says, if I can show that my 2019 revenue, 2019 is the base period for everything we look at for the employee retention credit. So if I look at my 2019 pre-pandemic revenue, and I can show that there was a segment of my business in 2019 that exceeded 10% of, let's say, the total revenue or 10% of the total hours worked by our employees, if that segment was affected, so you know, we're a law firm and, you know, litigation in court was more than 10% of what we do in that litigation, that court proceedings was closed down. Well, now that's been affected and that's more than 10% of my 2019 revenue. So I meet a secondary safe harbor rule that says it, because I met that 10% rule, 2020 now I qualify for the employer retention credit for the time frame at least that we were affected by that government suspension, that government shutdown. So law firms, I've actually talked to CPA firms about this because some of them did have, you know, tax season this hit. Things went you know, way down. They couldn't see their, their taxpayers. There was restrictions there. There's even the potential that, that a CPA firm could take advantage of this. Even some um, software development we've had where 
that was, I think, more of a drop in revenue. But the, the, the nice thing is that restriction rule is pretty broad. And the fact that if I could not travel, if a big portion of what I did as a business was travel and that was restricted, I qualify. I social distance wow. requirements, you know, group meetings. So there's a lot out there that can qualify. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it covers quite a bit of ground there. So the main point is know that it's available and have, have some discussions around it. So some people may have heard that this is a refundable credit. Now, what does that mean and why is that important? Well, so that is the most, well, it is one of the most exciting things about this. Refundable credits, as Teresa could let you know, refundable credits don't exist for the most part. You you never get refundable credits. Credits, for most people, if they hear the word credit, it's, okay, I have a credit I can use to offset some taxes and then, you know, at least reduce my current tax bill. With the employee retention credit, it is, if we calculate a $500,000 credit, there's a $500,000 refund check coming. doesn't matter what the taxes that you paid were. Um, you know, in some situations, if somebody deferred their income, their payroll taxes, you know, that would change it. But for the most part, the value of the credit is the value of the check that you get sent once you file the most likely am amended 941X, the, the payroll tax return. Wow. And is there a limit to the amount? There is not a limit to the amount. There's a limit to the amount of wages you can use for each employee into the calculation of the credit. Um, but as long as you qualify, um, that's probably a good place to go because there's some stipulations on if you're a small employer or a large employer, we don't need to get real deep into that. But bottom line is if you're a small employer, which means in 2019, I had under or 100 or under full-time employees for the 2020 credit or under 500, 500 or under full-time employees for the 21 credit, full-time employees, not full-time equivalents. It's anybody that was a full-time employee. Then if I qualify Every single employee could be used in the calculation of the credit. If I'm a large employer, which most of our clients that we're dealing with are considered small employers, you know, at least for 20 under five, uh, 100, under 21 under 500. If I'm over, though, I get a credit for individuals that worked, I mean, that did not work, but continued to get, get paid. So if you were being paid to stay home for six weeks, you know, while we, you know, we're under a stay at home order and you continue to get paid, well, then if you're a large employer, that qualifies. But I, I wouldn't concentrate on a large employer because most of the businesses we've been dealing with are fall under small employer. And the, the small employer, if every employee can be using the calculation of the credit, the 2020 credit, let's assume you are a hundred person firm, a hundred person business, and you've been affected, small employer in 2020. The credit is 50% of the first $10,000 of qualified wages per employee. So 5,000 per employee, if I had that, you know, if we all qualify at the max, that's a $500,000 refundable credit for the year 2020 for that business, which is great. Wow. That is nothing compared to the 21 credit. In 21, it becomes a 70% credit of the first $10,000 of wages. And rather than look at a year like I do for 2020, I look at each quarter individually. So if every, you know, same scenario, 100 employees, everybody qualifies for 10,000 wages in the quarter, 7,000 per employee max credit, 700,000 per quarter uh, in that scenario. No, you know, that's a, that's, that's, that's a pretty decent uh, wow. uh, benefit sitting there. We better verify I did my math right. 
I think I did. <laughs> I, I'm tapping out on that one. <laughs> I'm not going to be the one to verify any of that. And I, something important to, I think, um, that we have to keep in mind, and you mentioned it, Randy, was the PPP loan. If you used wages that, you know, the PPP loan was that paycheck protection program, and you basically got a loan that is forgivable to cover wages. If those wages were used to get that forgivable loan, you can't also use them for this employee retention credit. And so that's why it's important to have, you know, somebody really digging into these numbers to make sure that you're not accidentally using the same employee's wages in both places because you can't get the credit if you've already used that wage for a PPP loan. And, mm. and that's completely right. The one thing on that that where people get confused is they think that, okay, here's my 24-week period I use for forgiveness. So no wages are available in that 24-week for the ERC is what people are thinking. And that's not true. There's usually excess wages in that forgiveness period that still can be used for the employee retention credit. And like you said, Teresa, you just can't use the exact same dollar for both. Yeah. So, so that gives us a good idea, large scale, you know, for a larger company of a hundred people, a hundred employees. But if I have a smaller company and I'm a business owner running it by myself or a business owner with one or two employees, is that going to translate over to my situation? And would my wages qualify for this same situation? That's a great question because that's one of the biggest questions we've had out there and we've been waiting for guidance. Why don't I give you a little bit of update on some new guidance that just came out and then I'll hand it over to Teresa to uh, kind of give us an example of a smaller business. So, so some guidance that we've been waiting for is the biggest question we've had is, all right, let's, I'm in the majority owner of the business. Can my wages and my spouse's wages be used in the calculation of the credit? Well, the guidance that came out, I think the date's August 3rd or August 4th, so recently, said if you're a majority owner, 51% or more than 50%, your wages and any of your relatives' wages cannot be used in the calculation of the credit. And so if you hire you know, relatives, and it's pretty, the, the list of included relatives is pretty large, um, you can't be using the calculation of the credit. The, 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 the thought process here is a little, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I understand <laughs> IRS has to interpret what Congress puts out. And when you interpret what Congress puts out, you have to follow the tax code and that's what they're doing. And when you look at the tax code, what it says is if you're less than 50% owner and you don't have any other relatives owning anything else in the business, you can be using the calculation of the credit. That you can look at the codes and, and it says that. If you're more than 50% owner, that's where the little bit of a gray area was. But there's a code section that says that if you have any relatives, for the most part, if you have a mother, father, brother, sister, any um, uh, ancestor or lineage yourself, they are also considered to own the stock you own. And that eliminates you from the calculation of the credit. The reverse of that says, if I don't have any relatives and I'm a majority owner, I can be used in the calculation of the credit. That's the weird part. But almost none of our businesses are going to fall into that situation. So in reality, majority owner of the business and family members 
cannot be used in the calculation of the credit. So that being said, there's still other employees. So Teresa, I don't know if you want to expand on small business, what a potential credit would be. Sure. So if we just take that example, you know, you have a small business owner, let's say they own 100% of a, of a S corporation and they employ one person. So like you just said, Randy, for, for most purposes, the owner's wages are not going to qualify. It'd be rare to have no relatives. And really that's kind of what the test boils down to. So we have to eliminate the wages of the owner. Then, you know, assuming you met one of the two tests that we talk about, um, you know, either that gross receipts test or kind of the more facts and circumstances based tests to qualify for the ERC. Then we look at the wages of the employee to say how much wages are actually there to calculate a credit on. You know, for this example, we're going to assume these employee wages aren't used for a PPP loan. So basically, if you qualify for the credit in the year 2020, you can get up to 50% of that employee's wages up to using $10,000 of wage for the credit. So let's say your employee, you know, made $30,000 in 2020. Well, up to $10,000 of the wage can be used towards the credit. So we'll take $10,000 for that employee and the credit amount is 50% of the wages. So you'd have a $5,000 credit for that employee for 2020. And, you know, 2020 is behind us. So to get that credit, you actually have to go back and amend your payroll tax return in order to get that refundable credit. So there is a process involved in that. So then if we look at the year 2021, um, like Brandy mentioned, the credit is, is definitely more lucrative for a business. So in 2021, we don't look at the whole year. We look at each quarter and we get to do the credit calculation every quarter. And instead of being 50% of wages, it's 70% of wages. So let's say, you know, in quarter one, uh, the employee made $10,000. So we take that $10,000 of wage and we multiply it times 70% and you have a $7,000 credit for that employee in quarter one. Again, quarter one of 2021 is behind us. So you have to go back and amend that quarter's payroll tax return. Um, and you basically would repeat this process for each quarter during 2021 to determine um, you know, how much wage the employee earned. If it's more than $10,000, you get to use that max $10,000 number and multiply it by 70% to come up with, you know, a max $7,000 per quarter. So in 2021, as Randy mentioned, as the law stands now, because there are some proposals to end this credit before the end of the year, um, but as it stands now, you could get that $7,000 times each of the quarters, four quarters in the year, you could get up to $28,000 for that employee. Anything that is a quarter that's already done, so quarter one and quarter two, you have to go back and amend the payroll tax returns to get it. There is an option to claim the credit in real time if a quarter has not ended yet. There's, um, you know, a little bit, you know, some a different process to that, but that is something that uh, we do work with our business owners on. If we're in the midst of a quarter and think they're going to qualify, we can get them the money a lot more quickly if we can do the calculation before the quarter is done and claim it on the originally filed payroll tax return. This is why. There are CPAs and tax specialists that <laughs> exist <laughs> so that I can continue running my business and say, here you go, handle this. <laughs> I don't want to amend anything. I don't want to look at anything. <laughs> you guys take it and do it for me. <laughs> there really is a lot of rules here, Megan. I mean, it's it's hard. I know That's Randy and I lot. have 
talked about this and there's just so much to try to boil it down into something that, you know, for a business owner to at least say, hey, you know, is this something that might apply to my business? I think we just can't say enough. It's best to talk to an advisor mm -hmm. because there are, you know, sometimes you think automatically it wouldn't apply and it, and it could. And there's other times where once you dig in, you think it could qualify. But like we talked, there are some, you know, kind of traps for the unwary where you definitely don't want to be claiming this credit and you taking it um, if it's not justified. I don't think We've had a chance to mention um, today, but I know you've mentioned it in some of your other webinars, Randy, but the IRS has extended the statute of limitations for this credit. Basically, it typically is three years that you could file an amended payroll tax return to correct things. That same term applies to the IRS being able to go back and, and audit a return. That usually would be three years, but the IRS has said they're going to extend this to five years. So while that is good on one hand, you know, it gives us time to do these calculations right and, and to file amended claims to claim the credit if we need. It also gives the IRS time to go back and make sure that the calculations were done correctly, you know, if they were to select them for audit. And so that's what we really want to make sure of is that we're looking at all the facts, all the details and, you know, helping businesses, but making sure it's also done right. Definitely. The five years is a big deal. And as long as you Meet the requirements, document it correctly, uh, do the 941 correctly. I wouldn't be nervous about it. It's just, you know, be prepared for the IRS in case they come calling. Well, thank you so much to both of you for coming on and sharing your expertise and your background. It's a lot of information. And bottom line is this is available to help businesses. You just want to make sure that you're consulting with the right professionals to make sure that you're covering your, your bases. So... I do want to mention too that Trimerit has a link that they offer uh, for our listeners. You can go to Trimerit, that's T-R-I-M-E-R-I-T.com forward slash E-R-C to access on-demand webinars. And you'll actually find a link where you're able to check your eligibility and receive a free, no risk, no obligation consultation as well. So like we said, if you're working with a CPA, talk to them. If you're working with a CFO, talk to them. You can even bring Trimerit to them. And, you know, Trimerit's happy to work with your current CPA, CFO. Obviously, you can come to us. We do this as well. But the bottom line is go look because it's available to help you. And I was definitely going to say Teresa knows her stuff. So, you know, definitely reach out to you guys as well. We're out there. We're both out there. But uh, um, we're happy to help. Thank you again. Thank you so much to both of you. You all are spending the time to go to these uh, AICPA town hall meetings. And I know you're spending a lot of time to stay up to date on all of this information. So we appreciate sharing your knowledge with all of us so we can learn and, and know it's available. Yeah. Thanks so much, Randy, too, for everything you've shared with us. You know, I think you bring a lot to looking at things outside the box, which is important for you know, all the businesses out there. Well, thank you. It just goes back to the whole, everybody's facts and circumstances are unique. You just need to dig into them. For sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Keep that momentum going and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.